Hi, everybody. It's really, really great to be here this morning with you. And I, don't you just love that, that story of the lady with six children? That was amazing. And I just feel so thankful to the people who put the flyers in the bus stop and on the bus. Like, wow, if they hadn't put those flyers there, you think, oh, my goodness. Um, it is just totally amazing. And we're going to look a little bit this morning at witnessing, like sharing our faith. But actually, that's the t- subject I've been given, but I'm going to be a little bit naughty and go a little kind of... I felt the Lord speak to me about something that I think is related, but it will really help us with our witnessing. So I want to start by telling us just two stories that have really inspired me over the last week. Firstly, the first one is... Um, you know the movement, the Salvation Army that started in the mid-1800s. And there was a group of teenagers who became Christians and joined the Salvation Army. And they had their uniform on. And they had received the love of Jesus. They'd really encountered his love. And they wanted to go out and do some evangelism. So they went out. This is a true story. They went into the town and they decided they were going to go into the darkest place in the whole town so they went into this bar that was in the red light district of this town and it was just known to be the coarsest roughest um, the sort of place that they just would never ever go the darkest place in the whole town so they went in there and as they walked in the doors this group of teenagers with their Salvation Army uniform everyone just went silent and the atmosphere was horrible. They walked in there and people were just jeering at them and staring at them and scowling at them. And you could tell this was not going to go well at all. And we know the Salvation Army were often just beaten up frequently. Whenever they preached, people would often stone them, chuck stuff at them. It was horrible. Um, and it was starting to turn really sour in there, really bitter, until one 16-year-old girl had this idea. And she with her uniform on, jumped up onto a table in the middle of the bar and started singing Amazing Grace. And all these guys in the pub were just shouting and jeering and leering and they were so delighted to have this girl up on the table and they were being disgusting. They were saying the most horrible things to her, shouting, and you couldn't even hear her singing. And she, but she carried on singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And they just carried on shouting. Then she got to verse 2. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And they were just carried on shouting. And then she got to verse 3. And by the time she started singing, "'When we've been there 10,000 years, "'bright shining as the sun, "'we'll have no less days to sing his praise "'than when we first begun.'" there began to be this incredible hush and silence that just came upon the whole bar. And people stopped shouting and being rude. And the whole atmosphere changed, and she carried on singing. And people started to weep. These men, just hard men, weeping. These broken men, they just began to break down and weep. And many of these men in that that pub became Christians, And in the next three months, that bar closed down because no one was going there anymore. It's an amazing story. And I think, how did that girl have that courage? I wish, Lord, give me that courage. Another story was of two young Chinese girls. This was from a book of revivals in China. Um, And 
these two girls had become Christians six months ago. And for six months, because they became Christians from listening to the radio, like a, a, from a foreign radio broadcast, they became Christians and just read the Bible and encountered Jesus and his love and just felt like they were so accepted by him, so loved by him. And they read the Bible where it said, basically, go. Go and tell people about Jesus. Make disciples. So they went to the pastor of the church that they'd been going to. And they said, Pastor, we've become Christians. We've read our Bible. And Jesus has told us to go and make disciples. And the pastor said, well, you're very young. You're very, very, I don't know what age, but they were very, very young. You've only been a Christian for six months. Look, wait until we have a training course. We'll train you in evangelism. And they were really rude to him. They said, no. (laughs) They said, no. He said, what do you mean, no? Well, we've read the Bible, and it doesn't say about a training course. It just says, go. And he says, but hang on. You've been a Christian six months. You can't just go. I need to train you. You don't know your theology. And it just began to get embarrassing after a while. So he, he tried to scare them off. He said, okay, I've got a place. There's one place where I can't get anyone to go as missionaries, and it's Hainan Island. And they'd never heard of it. It's an island off the mainland China. And he said, it's a really rough place. Two young girls there, you, you're really vulnerable there. It's dangerous. People there won't respect you. People, missionaries don't want to go there. These two young girls looked at each other and instantly knew Jesus was calling them to Hainan Island. So they said, we're going to go. He said, oh, goodness. All right, well, give me a few weeks. I need to... I need to sort things out for you, okay? And they said, no. The Bible says, go now. (laughs) So they just said they're going. And off they went to Hainan Island. Two years later, because no one had heard anything, two years later, they were due to come back. And they were coming back on this specific day to collect Bibles and resources and stuff. And on this day, the pastor was meeting with some European missionaries, some, sorry, some pastors from Europe who'd come to China, and they wanted to meet some church planters. And the pastor said, well, I've got these two young girls coming back today. You can meet them. I wouldn't expect anything from them. They're these two young girls. Um, so they met in this posh hotel where these pastors were staying from Europe, and they arranged for these two girls to come in. And when they came into the hotel... The pastor was so embarrassed. They were scruffy, thin. They hadn't, like they hadn't eaten properly. They were wearing fishermen's clothes because they were living in these fishing villages. It was, and he was really embarrassed, and he had to tell the hotel staff, don't worry, they're with me. They're with, they can come with me. Anyway, he introduced them straight away to these European pastors, and the pastors said this, ask them how many churches have they established on Hainan? The women put their heads down and answered, Oh, pastor, but we've only been there two years. Yes, just two years. Not, not many churches, not very many. Their voices were apologetic. But how many? Oh, not many, not many. We've only been there a short time. The people were not friendly. Sometimes they became very vicious. Sometimes they told us they were going to drown us in the water. Several men threatened us, and because we were so young, even some of the other ladies did not like us, yet some even called us terrible names. So we haven't managed to establish many churches, not many at all. 
The pastor interrupted and slowly repeated the words, How many? How many? There was a moment of silence. Then one of the women looked up with embarrassment and anguish, as though confessing to a crime. Only 13. The pastor looked astonished and interrupted, um, interrupted for the guests. Sorry, 13. And one of our guests repeated the number. Only 13. My goodness, I haven't planted that many churches in my lifetime. And then one of the pastor's assistants interrupted. No, pastor. She did not say 13. She said 30. The pastor looked at the two young women and asked, 30? They said, oh, yes, and not many. We have, we've done very poorly. Only 30. The two guests could only mutter, 30 churches in two years, my word. Again, the woman began to apologize when the pastor interrupted to ask another question. Well, how many people are in these churches? How many? Oh, there's not many at all. Again, the heads went down of these two girls apologizing for their failure. Not many. The process repeated itself until again the pastor looked like he was ready to shake them and practically yelled, How many? Only 220 people. The pastor was multiplying in his head. The pastor said, do you mean 220 in all of the churches put together? Oh, oh no, that's just in one. But that's the very, very small church, very small. There are bigger ones. As the pastor interrupted, he heard the numbers repeated by his guests. 220 is small. Dear Lord, I wish I had some churches that large. Ask them how many, church, how many people are in the big churches. The process began, but with a more reverent inquiry. And how many in the big churches? You know, the biggest one. Oh, oh not many, the girl said. Less than 5,000. Only 4,900. We have just started. From behind the pastor came the sound of weeping. Dear Lord, forgive us. So what did they do? How did they do it? Ask them what they did. When asked, they looked astonished. What did we do? Well, nothing. Yes, we did nothing. You did nothing? No, nothing. We just prayed. Well, I know you prayed, but what else did you do? Well, after we prayed, the Holy Spirit would tell us exactly what to do. We would keep praying, and then he would tell us what to do next. And then we would do it. Then we prayed, and then he would tell us what to do again. We would do it and keep praying. Dear Lord, they just prayed, and the Holy Spirit told them exactly what to do. The pastor laid his hands on the shoulders of the two sisters. Behind him, his two guests were on their knees weeping. And they joined together as they just prayed. I just thought that was just such an amazing story of courage. And how did these two young girls, young Christians, persevere like that in the face of such resistance? There was something must have happened in their heart. Something must have gone on. And I was asking myself, like probably most of us won't do that many, do amazing things like that for God. That is huge. But God, I want to tell my friends about God. I want to tell my neighbors about Jesus. 
And we know that hell is real, don't we? We know that heaven is real. And we know that Jesus has called us to tell people about him. So I've been asking myself the last few weeks, Jesus, why do I find it so hard to share my faith? What would you say, and I want you just to think about this just for a few seconds, what is the biggest barrier to you sharing your faith and telling people about Jesus? Just have a think just for a moment. I'll just leave a moment of quiet. What is the biggest barrier to you telling people about Jesus? And I honestly think the biggest reason in most of us, certainly in me, is fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. And in the passage in John 15 that we read out before, Jesus said, if you follow me, in fact, did we read that bit out? I can't remember. We were meant to read that. Sorry, Sylvia. Um, But it was the bit that if you follow Jesus, you will receive rejection. Our lives as Christians will be lives of rejection. In fact, Jesus' whole life was a complete package of rejection the whole way through. And Jesus is saying, I promise you, if you follow me, you will be rejected. Now for Jesus, that was fine because he didn't have damage in his heart. He didn't carry a, what we call, can call a root of rejection because he was perfect and without sin and he didn't have that damage in him. But for many, many, many of us, the trouble is when we face the threat of rejection, we will not be able to handle it and it will put us off and it will silence us. Because we carry roots of rejection. Often from when we were babies or when we were children. Or from even from later in life. Broken marriages and things like that. So what we really need to do, and what I want to do just for the next few minutes. I've only got a few minutes. Is step back from evangelism. Let's forget evangelism, which is what I'm going to be talking about. And I just want to look at the root of rejection. Because I really think this is why we don't share our faith so often. What we need to, to do is identify it. You know, half the battle is won when you identify something. And I'm just excited this morning that some of us might identify something and we'll start winning a battle. And then we need to decide, I want to get rid of this root of rejection. Then we need to tear it up in the name of Jesus. And then we need to sow the seeds of God's love and acceptance. So, just for a few minutes, let's diagnose it first. When we're growing up, if you could put the first slide on, Graham. uh, When we're growing up, things happen to us, to all of us. And you see these roots at the bottom. All these things. Some of them maybe don't seem really bad at the time. Like I remember when I was growing up, my friends at school I just always felt rejected I always felt like I didn't fit in also from my grandparents who lived next to us they were so disapproving of me and my family all the time and my grand still is like (laughs) constantly all the time never ever good enough in any way um that's very low level but for me it has made a, a, a root of rejection in my heart that God's really put his finger on in the last few months. But things like abuse, disruptive home environment. Maybe if you, when you were conceived as a baby, your parents were really shocked because they hadn't planned that. 
that can have an effect on a baby if, they kind of res- if there's some resentment there. Maybe you weren't the preferred gender. Disruptive home environment, um, discouragement from teachers, trouble with friends and peers, and later in life, marriage breakdown. These are just some of the things. And these seeds that are planted, they grow into roots. They grow into a root of rejection. And often we have no idea. You know, in my life, I've all, and you'll laugh at this because you know, but I've always known there is something wrong with me and I can't quite figure out what it is. <laughs> and for years I've been asking God, God, what it is. And the last few months, he's been really highlighting to me this root of rejection. Uh, and it is so exciting because as soon as you know you've got it, you're halfway there to winning it, to, to tearing it up. And the problem with it is, it creates bad fruits in our lives. You know, if you have a good, good root, you get good fruit. A bad root creates bad fruits. And these bad fruits can be anger, um, low self-esteem. Who has that? In feelings of inferiority, you're just never good enough. Jealousy, hopelessness, distrust, hardness, guilt. Escapism, so lust. Problems with fantasy or drugs or alcohol often can come from this root of rejection because you're trying to fill that, that hole, that damage. You're trying to mask it. So this thing about rejection is really, really powerful in our lives. No wonder it holds us back from sharing our faith. Jesus didn't have that. He was free just to be rejected and it didn't hurt him. It's like water off a duck's back. But for us, when we get rejected, so often it cuts us deeply. Maybe often even when a friend does something slightly wrong, you just get really upset or really offended. And it's because there's a root there that needs tearing up. We can call it a spirit of rejection, or even if you know much about the demonic, there can be demonic spirits that actually cause this in us, that haunt us. And we know that Jesus' life was a life of rejection. So if you put the next slide up, great. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering. Um, we know that he began his ministry with an unwanted pregnancy by his father. His, his dad was going to disown them at the start. At his first time of preaching, the leaders in the synagogue dragged him out tried to chuck him off a cliff. That is severe rejection. His own family didn't believe in him at first. The re- religious leaders hated him. He was betrayed by Judas. He was denied by Peter. The disciples abandoned him. And then he hung on a Roman cross. And Jesus promises us that these, many of these things will happen to us too. But... The good news for us in all of this is that Jesus also endured a rejection that we will never have to endure. What is that? That is that Father God rejected him. And when he was hanging on the Roman cross, he cried out. He he quoted Psalm 23. My God, why have you forsaken me? And he had our sin. He had our rejection upon him. He had everything disgusting on him. And the Father turned his face away for that moment and it just must have been the most agonizing painful experience of rejection possible 
But the good news for us is that because of that moment, that victory Jesus won, you and I will never be rejected by God. Never, ever, ever. In fact, the opposite. God has chosen you because of that victory. He's chosen you. You belong to him. So what we need to do now to be able to be free from this root of rejection, if you just put the, first, the next slide up, Graham. Thank you. We need to tear it up. And this is so simple, but it takes determination. What I would love this morning is just for a few people, maybe even five people, to say to themselves, I don't want this anymore. I do not want it anymore. I want to get rid of it. Ask Jesus to reveal to yourself where you've been rejected. Where did this root come from? Was it at school or when you were a child? Or... And then say sorry to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for partnering with that rejection. And then commanding. As a child of God, you have the authority to command Satan to leave, to command the root to be torn up in Jesus' name. And I've been doing that to myself, and it's been utterly wonderful. Telling it to leave in the name of Jesus. And then on the next slide, Graham. And then what we need to do is plant the seeds of God's word. We need to be determined and committed every day to tell ourselves the truth that I am accepted in God. Um, it says in John fifteen nine, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And the next one as well. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And then Ephesians 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption as sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So just to conclude, you are so chosen by God, so adored by God. You are loved by God. But the problem in our heart is often we have this root that needs to come out because it stops us knowing that we are chosen. It stops us knowing it in our hearts. And I would love to just pray for us now, if that's okay, just for a moment, that the Lord Jesus will come by his spirit and tear it out. Um, I don't know if, if anyone here is having that resonating in their heart this morning, but for me, it's been life-changing. And then we need to tell ourselves the truth, like this amazing sculpture of the prodigal son, that the Father embraces us, he adores us. So should we close our eyes and, and pray together? And if you would like to respond to this, then maybe you can repeat this prayer it, just in your heart. Father, I'm, I'm so sorry for partnering with rejection in my life. And Lord, thank you that you died on the cross so that I don't have to be rejected by you. Please come and help me to overcome rejection. And now we're going to talk to that rejection. Tell it to go in Jesus' name. So in the mighty name of Jesus, I command every root of rejection to go right now. To leave me alone. I tear you up in Jesus' name. You have to go now in Jesus' name. And Jesus, we invite your Holy Spirit 
to come and fill us and cleanse us. And teach us your truth that we are accepted, we are loved. Amen.